welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So we hear a lot in the Christian world that happiness is not the same thing as joy. How many of you heard that? Yeah, look at that hand, look around, put your hand up. But you know what? If you do a very basic word study in the Bible, you, you will find out that that is not true. There is zero biblical evidence that happiness is different than joy. Joy and happiness, the word itself, can be uh, translated into a few, 20 different words in the scriptures that have to do with this concept of joy and happiness and gladness. And so joy isn't less than an emotion, it's much more. So if you were to ask people today, and there's studies that have been done, what most people want out of life, the answer, the number one answer they will give you is to be happy. And great minds throughout history have argued this concept that Augustine said, every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Thomas Aquinas said, man is unable not to wish to be happy. So this morning, as we continue our series in Advent, I wanna make a case for joy. You see, I think for many Christians, we have not thought about the power of joy and happiness and its impact on the world around us, even though we long for that very thing. I think the problem is we have found happiness in the wrong places, or even worse, we think as Christians, God doesn't desire us to be happy. What if God actually desires our happiness? And so what I wanna do today is show you the overwhelming biblical evidence for the people of God to experience, be full of, and bring about joy and happiness to the world. Sound good? So we're gonna look through the scripture. There's a bunch of stuff we're gonna look at. So you need a Bible. So pull out your Bible app or your phone and start in the book of Luke. It's a good place to start. Yes, you can say it, go ahead. Go ahead, thank you. Luke chapter two, uh, verse eight is uh, a story um, that we call the infancy stories of Jesus. It's the, the story of Christmas. And last week, Pastor Mike did an extraordinary job of framing the political socio um, context that the infancy stories and narratives are placed. Um, these are not cute little nativity settings. These are subversive, direct, political challenges to the dominant military superpower of its day. But I wanna focus in on something from, from these few verses we'll read together. Luke chapter, eight, uh, Luke chapter two, excuse me, verse eight. It says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the announcement of the arrival of Jesus. And the angels say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news and it will cause or be the cause of joy for everyone. It's the announcement of something new. Something new has happened. This new thing is not about fear. This new thing is about 
joy to the world. This new thing comes and fear has to go because there's a relationship between fear and joy. It's the kind of relationship that when joy walks into the room, fear has to walk out the, bad, the back door. You know what I'm talking about, those relationships? Awkward. So joy walks into the room and fear has to take a back seat. And that's how the Gospel of Luke begins. It begins with the arrival of Jesus, God in human form, born to teenage parents in a feeding trough. This news about something that has taken place will bring joy to the world. So joy, definition uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. The Greek word used in this text translates to the experience of gladness the experience or reason for gladness or delight. Words in the scripture that could be translated uh, for joy are words of happiness, gladness, satisfaction, contentment, jubilant. Words to describe the opposite picture of joy that we can use to give you a, a better understanding of what joy isn't. Sorrow, depression, melancholy, seriousness, discouragement. Something about the opposite helps us understand what Jesus is getting at today. That for a lot of us, we live in the depression. We, for a lot of us, we live in the melancholy. For a lot of us, we live in the seriousness. But there's something about the announcement of Jesus' birth that will bring about this other thing to the world. So, from the beginning of the announcement of Jesus, we hear that the story of Jesus has something to do with joy. Throughout Jesus' ministry, there is a theme of joy and happiness. And I really want you to get this, this idea of happiness and joy being words that can be replaced with each other based on the meaning of the original language. So I wanna just paint this picture of the Gospels for you and, and the emphasis that you find around the theme of joy and happiness. So if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter five. If not, just sit there and look at the screen because I'm gonna give them to you, right? Here we go, Matthew chapter five, verse three. It's the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, in the Greek, scholars argue is not really blessed, and that's what it's translated, because our translation, it comes from a translation from the King James, which is a few hundred years old in English, but the language in Greek, most scholars would argue a better word than blessed for modern language is the word happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. So now just take out the rest of the blesseds or the beatitudes and put happy are those with those uh, conditions or those states of existence next to them. So we see that from the beginning, it begins with there's a sort of, of happiness that is, is demonstrated when somebody experiences the kingdom of God. I don't have time to preach that, but we'll get there if we do the Sermon on the Mount in the near future. John chapter 13, check this out. John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet at the last Passover meal. He 
then tells them about the, the command of love. I, I'm giving you a new command. And then in verse seven, after he shares this, he says this, verse 17, excuse me. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, tells them how to live out the commands, and he says, you will be happy if you do them, in reference to keeping the commandments. He says, now that you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. You will be blessed. Am I frustrating some of you by saying that word? Maybe, exactly. Thanks for being honest. Appreciate that. Look at verse 15. We're talking about the, the ministry of Jesus and what he comes to bring. And for some reason, I haven't caught this as a pastor or as a student of the scriptures, that this is actually news to me that I've discovered over the last couple of weeks um, as I've been preparing this concept to, to teach you. But in verse 15, chapter 15 of verse 10, uh, as Jesus talks about um, abiding in him, he says, if you keep my commands, you will, remain in, uh, and you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy or happiness may be in you and that your happiness may be complete. Something about living in union with God enables us to experience a type of wholeness in joyful experience in our happiness that we wouldn't have without learning to remain and abide in God. And that as we do that, Jesus' joy is made complete as we experience our joy. There's this weird thing happening with happiness. Are you with me? Maybe not, that's okay, we're gonna keep going. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching these parables about what God is like what the kingdom of God is like. He's talking about the lost coin and then he talks about the sheep, the shepherd who has the audacity to leave 99 good sheep that are found, they haven't been lost, and he leaves them to find the one. That's crazy. That parable, by the way, doesn't make sense. Nobody would do that. It's not economic. It doesn't make economic sense. So as he's telling this, people would have been chuckling. No shepherd would leave 99 to go after the way. What are you saying? That's hilarious. And then he has this line. He says in verse seven of chapter 15, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joyful celebration, rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Something about the way the kingdom, the way heaven exists is this celebratory feast this joyful experience when one person turns to God. Luke chapter four, Jesus in Luke chapter four um, gives his kind of state of the union address. This is his mission statement according to the gospel writer Luke. And in Luke, Jesus uses a passage from Isaiah 61. And anytime we read the New Testament and, and an author references in Old Testament scripture, we don't just read the few verses uh, that were actually quoted. What is intended in that scenario as you become students of scripture is to go and read the rest of the chapter in its full context. So Jesus is laying as a, a lens for you to understand the rest of the Gospel of Luke, that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, which is about the Jubilee. This is about what the Messiah comes to do. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah 61 goes on, and it says, to comfort all who mourn, 
to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Oh, is that good? Yeah, yeah, you can, hey, where's my feedback, church? 11 o'clock. Don't, I don't wanna lose what we had, okay? 9 a.m. was pretty good, okay? I'm not judging you like siblings, but I might today, I might. I mean, is there a culture of despair? Amy, Pastor Amy talked about this. We live in a culture of despair and the solution, Jesus comes and he brings us a garment of praise. Instead of mourning, sorrow, depression, Jesus comes and he brings an oil of joy. And what happens when this uh, message is manifested in the life of Jesus? Well, when blind people see, when people who couldn't walk start walking, <clears throat> when those who are, who are excommunicated are included, when the, 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 for, the sinner was forgiven, um, what ha- you know what happens? They don't experience the message and then walk away going, oh, that's cool. There's usually a response of joyful celebration from the personal encounter with God. Would you agree? Like if you've seen somebody who's been held captive to a sin find breakthrough in their life, there's a little bit more than, okay, that's cool. There is a, there's a joyful response to the empower, the powering presence, the empowering presence of Jesus. But it doesn't just end there. At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, it begins with the announcement of the angels. This will bring joy to all people. And it ends with this, verse 50 of chapter 24. When he had left, led them out, and this is Jesus resurrected, led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he's talk, talking to his followers. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The story, the Gospel of Luke begins with the announcement of joy and it ends with the disciples headed into Jerusalem, God's holy city, with joy. Joy is a dominant theme of the Gospels. It begins with it, it ends with it. And the basic message of Scripture, if you are new to this thing, is look, God became human in Jesus and in Jesus we see what God is like. He is the revelation of who God is and all that he uh, expressed, all of his, his attributes are found in Jesus and when we read the scriptures, what you see in the scriptures, Jesus is feasting, he's celebrating, he's laughing, he's making jokes which we don't really pick up on because we read it in English but in the Greek you would have found it to be hilarious. He plays with kids, he's interruptible, he's never in a hurry, and he's relaxed. What is God like, according to Jesus? Well, God is happy. God is joyful, and he's in a good mood. It says in Hebrews chapter one, verse nine, that uh, talking about Jesus, he has set you above your companions by, by anointing you with the oil of joy. The writer of Hebrews says that the people that were around Jesus, that the people that knew him best, saw him with incredible joy. He was incredibly joyful. That's what it means to be anointed with the oil of joy. Now, why does this matter? Why, Darren, are you going off on the gospels and the theme of joy and Jesus being joyful? Well, here's why. How you think about God will shape who you become. So pause real quick. 
who are you becoming? If you were to examine the product of your life lived, what does it look like? What do you leave behind when you leave a group of people? Trevor Hudson says, it would seem that we shape our picture of God and then that picture of God shapes us. But the story we get, the story we get to tell the world is that of a God who is happy. He's the happiest being in the universe. And God desires us to experience that joy and happiness. He desires us to become like him and bring and reflect that likeness back into the world. How are we doing, church? I mean, that's the goal. And the thing is that anyone and everyone can access God through Jesus. Let me, let me just say, if, you, if you're new to this whole thing, you are invited where you are, as you are, into a divine community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as we live in this relationship with God, we have direct access to the source of joy. You see, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the byproduct of relationship with God. God wants us to be happy. And I don't really feel like a lot of us believe that as Christians. Because a lot of us picture God, and this is what I grew up with, as angry. I read Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, and it scared me to death. I, I gave my life to Jesus a thousand times in those altar calls because I was scared that stone was gonna crush me. You know what passage I'm talking about in First Peter, yeah, okay. But, but that is not the ultimate revelation that Jesus comes to bring. What Jesus brings is something different, but the problem today as Christians is we don't reflect this good, beautiful, joyful, happy Jesus God to the world, especially when it comes to anything political. Uh, we just say that for a second, just put that out there for a little bit. Like I'm gonna change this world with this Facebook meme. Then they will be converted to the right party. Really, people? Like that, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of worked, but there's some evidence about that, but, but that's not the point. The point is, are we reflecting into the world joy, life, peace, reconciliation, wholeness, the characteristics, the attributes, and the nature of God, because that's what we're designed to do as humans. But I think we've missed it. Yeah, see, it's not a Christian thing, just to clarify. It's a human thing to reflect God to the world, because we're made as humans in the image of God. We just know the origin story, right? So God wants you to be happy. The problem is, and I think this is where the, pro- the confusion gets into the church, is we, we equate happiness with the wrong things and we look for happiness in all the wrong places. We trust the world's form of happiness and we follow the world into uh, its happiness defined by self-gratification and pleasure, which leads to emptiness, heartbreak and addiction. You see, joy and true happiness is a sign that our hearts are functioning the way God intended them to function, with a harmony between our desires, our decisions, and our actions. So that's 
the true meaning of joy and happiness, wholeness. And these words uh, are interchangeable, but to focus on joy, that's where joy comes in. It's, it's a sign that our hearts are functioning the way God intended them to function in the first place. And a, a harmony or alignment with our desires, our decisions, and actions. That's why Henry Nouwen says joy does not simply happen to us. It's not just optimism. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. You see, unhappiness is a kind of self-perpetuating state of mind. And so is happiness. You see, it's a way that you see the world before you. It's a way that you see your life before God. It's a, a field of vision. It's kind of like a flywheel that you have to push and you have to turn it, but eventually as you go, that flywheel takes enough, has enough inertia and gains enough speed where you don't have to touch it and it takes no effort anymore. The same is true with your perspective. It's a self-perpetuating state of mind. So bitterness, anxiety become a cultivated way of seeing the world. How are we doing, church? So when you spend your life looking for the negative, you become a negative person. How many of you have friends that are negative? How many of you have those friends that like every, they, see, they see all the wrong and everything, you know? You're like, you're like, I don't have any friends like that. Everyone else, that's you probably. <laughs> well, you see, when you spend your life worrying about what could go wrong, like when you look at the world in a way that you, the worst thing could happen and it, and it it tends to happen, doesn't it? Like you could be on a playground with your kids and you've been groomed to think something terrible is gonna happen so you think there's gonna be death on the playground. I'm just speaking, like I have a friend who has issues watching his kids on the playground because he's always worried something bad's gonna happen. It's a cultivated way of seeing the world. Like, let me try to explain this. Um, so on Monday, I went to Disneyland with my, my family. And Disneyland is called literally the happiest place on earth. So, so picture me, my wife, my six-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old at Disneyland. My two-and-a-half-year-old went to Disneyland for the first, play, first time in his life. So um, the week leading up to Disneyland, I, I worked more than in the entire 2019. Like, it was the busiest week. I preached five times in four days. We had multiple things at night. We did the soul, uh, racial reconciliation on Saturday. So I didn't have time off. I was exhausted. And rather than sleeping on Monday, we got up early to get to Disneyland early. So... Just framework, I'm not a terrible person. I just, there's a lot going on in my life at that time, okay? So there we are, kids. Amos has no context to put Disneyland into his frame of mind. Like he, like what, when you've never experienced it, some of you haven't, like it's like an entirely magical world. Like, I'm, and they're not paying me to say this. So there's no advertisement here. Just me and my general experience. So uh, we go on all these rides. Amos is, it's, it's just amazing, so much fun. Then my wife's like, hey, why don't you split up? Because Ezra is big enough to go on other rides. Why don't you take Ezra on the Star Wars ride? And I'll take Amos on Dumbo. Great, babe. <laughs> so we're in Galaxy's Edge, which by itself is magical. And um, the first time I saw it, when I went with Ezra the first time on November 18th, it, I... I <laughs> I like walked in and I, I grabbed Alex and I was like, baby, I need like five hours alone right now. I just need to be alone <laughs> in Star Wars land. Um, but anyways, point being, we get in line. It's like an hour in line and, um, and it goes by fast. But 
But here's the deal. We're about to get on Smuggler's Run, Millennium Falcon ride, and I'm standing there, and my son happens to be the perfect height, to, and, and his arm has to be at this perfect, like, convenient way uh, that when he, we were both, like, staring at this magical land uh, where he would, like, want to show me something. He'd be like, Dad! And it would be, like, down, <laughs> like that. And it was, like, <clears throat> a very sensitive area for, area for all humans, and, and, um, and like, it didn't just happen once. It happened like four times. <laughs> so I'm at the happiest place on earth, but I'm very agitated, <laughs> very upset. Not expressing it towards him necessarily right away, but there was an increased awareness of this little human that happened to hurt seven times that day. I went down for the count, okay? There was a level of agitation, frustration, this awareness that there's a little human that's annoying me with no intentionality. I was frustrated. So here I am in an environment of utter joy and happiness. It is literally all around me and all I can think about is whether or not this human's gonna hit me again. Do you know what I'm talking about? That we literally could be walking around with joy exploding, but our mindset has been cultivated to look for the things that are wrong, that are not here, that keep happening. To, why does this keep happening to me? I'm gonna, we're gonna leave Disney if you do this again. No, I didn't say that. Mickey's gonna die if you do. No, I'm just, that's even worse, just morbid how not to parent your child. You see, it's a cultivated way of seeing life. You see, joy becomes more than a goal or an ideal or an emotion. It's something bigger than that. Joy is a way of seeing your life before God. It's a way of seeing life around you. It's a way of, uh, uh, it's it's a self-perpetuated state perpetuating state of mind. And in order to have that kind of experience, the kind of joy that's made complete, we have to train our minds in the way of joy. So how do you train your mind? I wanna, I wanna land with three ways you can train your mind from scripture. How do we train our, train our mind in joy? Number one, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to develop an awareness of joy. Or I would like to say you need joy radar. Psalm chapter 65, verse eight, it says this. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. The morning dawns, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. This is beautiful. Now here's a question. Where does morning dawn and evening fade? Anyone wanna take a guess? Everywhere, you're right. It's not just over San Pedro. It's literally everywhere. And the gospel, or the, the, the psalmist is saying that joy can be found everywhere. It's a perception, it's a perspective that, that it's present in creation. You don't have to find it someplace else. It's literally right around you. You just need to pay attention. You need to be aware that wherever morning dawns, and evening fades. God is calling forth songs of joy. They are present in the most mundane things around you. Are you aware of joy? 
before you talk about what isn't, before you talk about the lack, before you talk about the anxiety and stress, have you recognized that life is a gift and what's present around you are calling forth songs of joy? How you doing? Number two, ask for it. How do we cultivate a mind of joy? Ask for more joy. Psalm 30, verse 11, it says this, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, this basically a garment used for grief, and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. God gives joy. God replaces mourning and sorrow with joy. Whatever happens to me um, when I come to understand reality the way it was intended to be, when I come to understand who God really is, I can say, actually, I'm gonna step into this. I'm gonna wear joy today. I'm gonna take off these things and walk in joy as a perspective because life is a gift. Whatever, thing, whatever comes my way, no matter what the circumstance is, I can live in the reality of what has already taken place with God in my relationship with him. First Thessalonians says this in verse one, or verse six of chapter one. Paul says to the church, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So joy is a gift from God given by the Spirit. So you can ask for it, you can, be, you can ask for more of it, but one of my observations from this text is that joy transcends circumstances. You can suffer with joy. You can be going through trials of all kinds and be a person grounded in joy. So we have to learn how to handle suffering as believers in Jesus the ultimate giver of joy. We can go through pain and crisis and loss without bitterness, anger, resentment. We can walk in it with joy. For some of us, the suffering um, that we've gone through, uh, we've carried joy into the suffering. Do you know? For some of us, we've had this joy and as we go through trials and circumstances, we still carry the joy with us and it impacts the way we interact with the suffering and trial that we're going through. For others of us, the suffering produces the joy on a deeper level. And that's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. Because for some of us, like there are circumstances way outside our power and control. A lot of us feel like we're victims to our experiences in life, jobs, relationships, so on and so forth. But there's others of us that recognize that actually there's an attitude that we have, a power that we have to handle circumstances that are way beyond our control, physical conditions that disable or disempower life the way it once was. There's someone that I know in our church who is one of the most joyful persons I know and they have a physical condition. And every time I see them, and it, that, that causes them to need some physical support and um, they have this extravagant, exuding, jubilant presence around them. By far, the most joyful per- people I know are usually ones that have allowed the, con- the sufferings and trials to produce something that can only be said, uh, the Holy Spirit gave that to you. You can ask for it. You can ask for more of it. 
Because joy, even the word itself in Greek, by the way, is connected to the, the Greek word grace and gift. So joy is a response to the, the understanding that all of life is a gift. Perspective is that life is a gift that needs to be received, so you gotta ask for more of that joy. The third way to grow in training your mind is that you have to express joy when you have it because joy is contagious and has to come out. So Psalm 28 verse six says, praise be to the Lord for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with, so- with my song I praise him. The- when the psalmist talks about joy, he has to use uh, imagery and poetry to describe the experience that is uncontainable when someone experiences joy. My heart leaps. If your heart literally leaped, something's wrong with your heart. But what he's describing is what poets do for us. They give us language for the things that we need language for to understand the power behind it, that you have to express joy when you have it. Now, I talked about Disneyland, so let me go back to Disneyland real quick. Because I told you that we went to Disneyland after years, three and a half years of not going to Disneyland, because it's like a mortgage payment to go to Disneyland. And and we debated for months if we should do it, but we decided to do it for Ezra's sixth birthday. So on November 18th, my six-year-old turned six, and he, uh, we pretended like we were gonna go to Auntie's house for breakfast, but we got sitters to watch Amos all day, morning and night, so that we could take just Ezra by himself to Disneyland. And so as we drove in the car and said, hey, bud, uh, he's like, hey, we passed Auntie's house. Yeah, we're not going to Auntie's house. We're going to Disneyland. And his, just imagine the excitement of a six-year-old boy on his birthday to receive the surprise of Disneyland for, with mommy and daddy by himself without his little brother, Amos. And we went to Disneyland. We went on Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain. We went on all the rides, because this was the first time he, at higher than 44 inches, could ride all of the rides. And we went on all of the rides, which, by the way, his mom and I have clearly outgrown because we could not handle all of those rides. We were way too old for those things and the, the force that it does to your body. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it was, it was exciting. And then, and then we both experienced Star Wars Land for the first time. And, I, and he is a huge fan of Star Wars. He pretends that he has Jedi powers. And, but so do I. So he's got it from... <laughs> Clearly, I'm his father. So there we were. We, we were in Star Wars land, and we, I, I told you, I want five hours alone. This is so amazing. We are literally just like, we're talking to Chewbacca. We're entered, I'm in, entered into a Chewbacca impersonation contest, which I won, by the way. You're welcome for that. We meet stormtroopers. We are experiencing so much life and fun and joy, and I'm not going to do it, and happiness. <clears throat> no, 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 no. That's not the point. Don't be, di- don't be distracted. <laughs> All right, if you're a good audience, we'll do it at the end, but there we go. <laughs> so we, we, we stumble into this droid building shop, okay? You can literally put together a droid that you will become a remote control car. Ezra builds robots out of cardboard boxes. He walks in and it was like, there was, if it was a 10, we went to an 11, you know what I'm talking about? And we find out it's like 100 bucks. We're like, we're definitely not buying you a droid. We just got into Disneyland. You've had plenty. Not gonna happen. And we have to negotiate. Next, save up your money. 
we'll come back, okay? And so he finally, after like 30 minutes of negotiating, he's like, okay, we'll come back. Um, we, do, we do all the rides. We go to, over to California Adventure, soaring over the world, and then we go on uh, the ride that was literally de- de- designed by Satan himself, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. It, it is a traumatic experience for everyone. You will need therapy, and you will need uh, to go to the restroom shortly after because it don't, don't even, just, it's terrible. My expression in the picture was holding onto my son, hiding like this, no joke. And he was like, ah! <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing experience. And then we end in California Adventure, and, and Ezra's grandma calls from Northern California, his Mimi, Alex's mom, and and he's just saying, you know, with this and that and Star Wars land and there's this droid and, but I'm gonna save up. And then his grandpa jumps on, how much is the droid? It's a hundred bucks. I'm gonna Venmo your parents. Go get the droid you want. And he, he was like, wait, how can it get even better? And we, we walk from one side of California Adventure all the way to the other side. It's literally the, it's like a 20, it's a full mile. I had my watch on a full mile of, of, of walking. We get in, he picks out the right colors for R2-D2. Like there's, you could have an orange R2-D2. He picks out the right colors, puts it together with a little shot making kit and then they put it on the stand and he hits this button and the lights go on and it turns on and it goes, spins around. And it was like, like this magnificent moment and we grab, we grab the droid, we stick him in the box and I, I put him on my shoulders and I'm like skipping out <laughs> of Disneyland. Because when you experience joy, like the world just goes away, it has to be expressed. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just that, that thing that, ex- that happens. Joy has to be expressed. It can't be contained. Like something like that. First John chapter one, verse three. We proclaim to you, just wait, what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our happiness complete. Something about sharing, you have to give it away. You have to give away, and as you give it away, there's something that is solidified in you being more filled with that joy. So central to the gospel of Jesus is joy. Jesus was filled and is filled with joy. Jesus reveals to us that God is happy. The central life that God desires for us is to be happy and filled with the true meaning of joy. Joy is a state of mind that can be cultivated. You can grow in it through awareness by asking for it and by expressing it when you have it. That's what joy is about. And so as we come into Advent, as we sit in Advent, Advent means the coming or the arrival. We're preparing our lives for the arrival of Jesus in the world. Advent season is about us preparing for him to come. Christmas is the story of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And we want him to come because when Jesus comes, fear has to go. Joy is about what has already taken place. Throughout scripture, joy will become a decision that the people of God make to live, engage, and anticipate what God will one day do in history. 
And then Jesus comes and he does it. And therefore joy becomes about celebrating what God has already done in human history. And we sit with where God has already come victorious on the cross and the resurrection and looking forward to what he will eventually do once and for all. You see, fear is about the unknown possibilities of what could happen. This could happen, this could happen. Maybe this is gonna happen. Fear can own us. It could cripple us with the unknown. Fear comes in all different forms. It comes with anxiety, control, cynicism, anger, bitterness. But joy is about what is known. Fear is about what hasn't come. Joy is about what has already come. So I wanna invite you to experience joy, to leave behind the fear, and this Christmas, step into joy. And the question I have for you, for some of you, is has joy left the building for you? Were you hurt this year? Were you betrayed? Were you criticized, forgotten, pushed, left out? Were you burnt out by what you've been doing? Did you lose someone that you loved? Did you lose something that you loved? Have you lost joy? Has joy been robbed? What I need to say to you is that Jesus has come, therefore joy has come. And if you need joy today, all you gotta do is ask. And I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, good things as well as bad things you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near a fire. If you want to get wet, you need to enter into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty squirting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. In other words, if you want joy, you have to get close to the source of joy, and that's God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.